This is recording number 10854 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 14, 2010. This is the fifth message in the series by Randy Bolt titled, Under Construction. This message is titled, Restoring Your Soul, Part 5. Nehemiah, and then turn to chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're continuing our study of this book under the title, Under Construction, Restoring Your Soul. And Nehemiah had been the cupbearer of the king of Persia, a Jewish man, when he heard about the, the terrible state of affairs in Judea and Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt and restored by earlier returning exiles. But when he heard that the walls that defined the city, that which gave Jerusalem a personality, um, were were torn down and the the gates burned with fire, he wept and prayed and uh, asked God to give him the favor to get from the king of Persia permission, authority, supplies, to be able to uh, go back and do what he could to see the walls of the city uh, reestablished. We've been involved in this study because it's not just history. It models for us something so important. Just as those of us who have come to faith in Christ have experienced at the deepest dimension of our lives, the core of our being, our spirits, rebirth and renewal and restoration in relationship with God. So the returning exiles had experienced the rebirth of worship and the reestablishing of the temple. But they had the same problem in one sense that all of us have in that Worship had been restored. The spiritual life had been restored. But that which defined them, that which marked who they were and gave them their distinctness had been, had been uh, corrupted and, and, and uh, you know, dismantled and, and uh, broken down. And many of us in the room today know exactly what that's like. Uh, we have come to faith in Christ and experienced the reestablishment of a, re- of a relationship with God at our spirits. But we know that our souls, that's, that part of us, that is our intellect, our emotion, our wills, our personality, that which defines us, that which di- gives us distinctiveness, um, has been uh, damaged by the penetration of sin that has, has corrupted us. And so the story of how Nehemiah rebuilds the soul, so to speak, of the city of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, is an analog, it's an an analogy of how the Holy Spirit wants to rebuild and reestablish our souls as well. And in fact, it's just so unavoidable. The name Nehemiah means consolation or comfort of God. And you'll remember that Jesus said, I have to go so that the comforter, and he was referring to the Holy Spirit, so the comforter can come. 
In the Bible, the, the Greek word that's used is paraclete or parakaleo, which means the one who comes alongside to help. The Holy Spirit of God is on the scene. If you have um, uh, invited Christ to be your Lord and Savior and received his forgiveness of sins, the Spirit of God is on the scene of your life to restore your soul. In fact, Psalm 23 tells us this is what the Lord does. The Lord is my shepherd, in verse 3 of Psalm 23, that famous passage, says, He restores my soul. How many of you are grateful for that? And how many of you would raise your other hand to say, I recognize that I am under construction. Thank God. (laughs) There's something happening. Yeah, hallelujah. So, we're going to pick up. Uh, Where we left off at chapter 4, verse 6. Actually, when we last uh, opened this book together two weeks ago, we concluded with verse 6. But we're going to pick it up there again. Verse 6. So we built the wall. So you remember that Nehemiah has surveyed the damage and he's begun to make assignments to people. He said, you guys take this section of the wall, you guys take this one, you take this one, you take this one. And so they've been at work and it says, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Progress is being made for the people had a mind to work. So they've, uh, we, they've connected all of the, the gaps have been closed and the wall is being rebuilt and it's back to half of its height. Really great progress is happening. How many of you know, I mean, you, you, you raised your, many of you raised your hand a minute ago to say, I, I recognize something's happening in my life. God is at work by His Spirit. I, I don't know how it happens. <laughs> I'm just grateful it's happening. That my soul is coming Coming back to, to what I, I can sort of imagine and, and long for that God intended me to be. And so progress, I, wanna, I just want to linger here for a moment. Because sometimes we, we lose sight of the fact that progress is being made. Because the more, this is so true, so common to all of us, the more God's God is progressing in terms of his restoration project in your life. Sometimes the more you can see how far you have to go. And that can almost seem, almost overwhelm you. But don't focus there. Focus on the, we're half, we're halfway there. You know, without, you know, beyond comprehension, all this mess is starting to take form again. And hallelujah, thank God for that. So progress is being made. But you'll also, be, you'll also recognize what I'm about to say. If it's true for you that you have recognized the Lord at work in your life. And things are changing. And things are changing for the better. You'll also recognize that, that there's somebody who doesn't like that. <laughs> And who does everything he can to, at the very least, slow stuff down. And if at all possible, stop and reverse this progress. And if you were that person, (laughs) I don't mean to leave him nameless, the devil. If you were him and you recognized as he does the incredible threat that any person 
who is under the constructing, a construction work of the Holy Spirit, poses to his deal, you would take action too. And you know what you'd do? Yeah, you know what you'd do. You'd throw everything at them, including the kitchen sink. And that's what he does. How many of you have ever experienced where a time in your life but it seemed like everything was coming at you from every direction? Your car breaks down. You're, you lose your job. Aunt Martha is in the hospital. It's all at once, you know, from, and you can't, you almost kind of stagger because you don't know what to deal with now or next. Anybody had that experience? That is not um, atypical. You haven't been singled out as the one person in the world that, you know, that kind of stuff happens to. The devil loves to try to overwhelm you. And he attacks us almost always in a swarm. So don't be surprised by that. And we're going to see that the people of Judea, the returning exiles from Judah, making progress and seeing God at work, rebuild, helping them in this rebuilding project, that all of a sudden everything starts coming at them from every direction. But let's watch how God gives them victory. Because that's what we want, right? Amen. Amen. Okay, verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat... We all know this guy. It's, about, it's a good place to go. Boo. Boo. Sanballat. Tobiah. Boo. These are bad guys. The Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. Notice that the crew is growing. <laughs> the opposition is growing. When these, all these guys heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and... Create confusion. A telltale sign that you are under assault by the kingdom of darkness is that there starts to be just a cloud of confusion that seems to close in on you like a fog. So it was... I'm I'm skipping down to verse 12 and I, I... I just want to warn you, I'm going to take some of these verses out of order because it will help make the storyline a little clearer for us. So skip down to verse 12. So it was, when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So there are some Jews in the area who are not... um, directly involved in the rebuilding project. They don't live within the city uh, of Jerusalem. and they're, they're, they're closer to the enemies and they're kind of spying and picking up some of this information. And so they come to Nehemiah and to the people who are working on the walls and they say, hey, this is what we, we've heard. That every, They tell them ten times. They're really trying to make the point. Look guys, from where, whatever place you turn, they'll be upon us. The strategy of the adversary was to come at them from every direction at once. To overwhelm them. To swarm them in a way that would cause them to lose heart. Verse 10. Verse 10. Then Judah said, the people of Judah, they said, The strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. 
And the cloud of confusion, the threat of this assault from every direction is beginning to have impact. And the people are starting to go, like you and I do at those times, oh, I, can't, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. I've been out of work for six months and nobody wants to hire me. My mortgage is going into foreclosure. Besides that, you know, I, I've, got some, I've got a medical problem. Besides that, I need a new car. I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. I don't want to make light of that stuff. I've been there and I know what it feels like. It's scary. It's awful. And you want to just melt into a puddle somewhere. But life goes on. You don't know what to do. That's where these people are. They're losing heart. They've been making such tremendous progress. But the devil throws everything at them in the, in the, in the, through the persons of Sanballat and Tobiah and these others. Throw everything at them, including the kitchen sink. And they start to lose heart. Verse 11. And our adversaries said... They'll neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Verse 9. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. Take note of that word. Because that, that's, that's, that's something you need to add to, to your vocabulary. I'll get this. I'll get this. Your vocabulary. (laughs) Because when all that stuff is coming at you, the thing that needs to come out of your mouth, nevertheless. Nevertheless. Yeah, throw it at me. But nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Verse 13. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. And fight. For your brethren, your, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Hallelujah. Nevertheless. So I've got five uh, things out of this passage I want to discuss. Just highlight with you before we go home. When you're facing a a storm, a swarm of opposition from the adversary. And you're tempted to think, ah, I can't go on. I don't know what to do. I think I'll just give up. Remember these things. First of all. Pray. Pray. I, <laughs> I'm surprised at myself. I won't implicate you, but you know who you are. <laughs> I am surprised at myself. 
that so often when this stuff comes hurling at me from every, every direction, the last thing I think to do is pray. Isn't that silly? But, but that's what happens. What I end up doing is trying to figure out a way to defend myself. To get something going to, to see if I can fend off this assault. It will fail, dear one. <laughs> it will. I want to become instant with my prayer life in those moments. <coughs> I need God. <laughs> and so do you. If this construction project is going to continue, it's going to be because God deals with my enemies. Pray. Pray and pray like the Dickens. I don't know if anybody uses that term anymore, but I do. Pray like the Dickens. Pray like, like, like the Dickens. <laughs> pray like crazy. And pray some more after that. Pray. We have a God in heaven, the Bible says, who, who hears and answers prayer. Pray. And then watch. Nehemiah said, we, we, put, we recognize now that this is, this, is a, you know, this is a strategy to undo us we're not going to let it happen. And they posted a watch. And they started to become um, uh, mindful of every uh, avenue, every vector of assault. And just became aware of those things. When you're in the midst of that kind of... It's actually better to do this before the swarm comes. But when you're in the midst of the swarm, recognize where it's coming from. Let God give you an eternal perspective. Wait a minute. This isn't just about my job, about my car, about my health, about what. It's not it, this. Wait a minute. This is about my eternal destiny. This is about the kingdom of God. Wait a minute. I'm not going to just stand by. And let this take me down. Post a guard. Set a watch. And if there are any places of vulnerability in your life. Stand there with a spear and a sword. That's what they did. You're not coming through here. Watch. And then Nehemiah rises up and he says. Do not be afraid. Fear not. You know fear is a choice. Fear is a choice. In fact, the Bible says fear is a spirit. Paul writing to Timothy says, God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. Because Timothy was facing, he's a, he was Paul's protege and he, and he was a pastor and he was facing a barrage of, you know, a barrage of uh, satanic assault, challenges in his work and ministry. And he was beginning to fade. And Paul says, wait a minute, Tim. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's what God gives. You and I have a choice to make when it's all coming down. 
Am I gonna if I'm am I gonna give in to fear? And I suggest you don't. I know what it is to do so, but I suggest you don't. Give place to the Spirit of God. Power, love, and a sound mind. Don't be afraid, he says. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Let me just read you a few verses of Scripture here. Hebrews 4, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Remember the Lord. We don't have a high priest who's just lollygagging up there in heaven and never faced anything difficult. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in all points just like us. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine because, of, well, of course, Jesus was God. I mean, how big of a temptation could it have been? Let me tell you, it was just exactly the same as you. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is meaningless. You hear me? The Jesus Christ sacrifice on the cross, Him dying on the cross is meaningless unless the temptations He stared down and triumphed over so He could go to the cross, a sinless sacrifice for us, were legitimate. They were. And this verse tells us, these verses tell us that He was tempted in every way, just like you and I, but without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And then Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers. Remember the Lord. Having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When you're in the throes of that stuff, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. The one who is tempted in all ways, just like you, but triumphed over them, is on your side. Went to the cross and defeated his adversaries utterly. Listen to verse 15 of Colossians chapter 2 in the uh, message translation. I love this. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross. And marched them naked through the streets. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. So pray. Watch. Don't give place to fear. Remember the Lord. And finally, fight. Fight. Zechariah 4, verse 6, the last part of that verse says, but it talks about our, our warfare. It says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Second Corinthians 10, verse 4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they're not material, they're not muscle. <laughs> but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds. Ephesians 6 verses 11 to 13 say for, or 12 and 13 say, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Take your stand. Fight. But not with carnal weaponry because your enemy is not carnal. In other words, it's not about raising your voice or shaking your fists. Or, I mean, sometimes that's of some value because, you know, uh, in fact, I've, I was praying for somebody the other day and I, I just recognized they were under one of these swarms, you know. And they are a person that I care about, you know, somebody I care about deeply. And on top of that, someone that I have some uh, um, responsibility over as a, a, sh- a shepherd, a pastor. So I'm invested in these people. And I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to let the, I'm not going to sit by and let the devil just take them down. No, I'm not. So <laughs> I'm praying, you know, and I hear myself kind of rise up, you know. And I feel like I'm inserting myself in between them and this onslaught of crud from the camp of Sambalat and Tobiah, the devil. I I feel like I'm inserting myself in there and I find myself raising my voice. (laughs) Look, raising my voice doesn't bother the devil at all. That's that's not a a big deal. It was a big deal for me though. Because then I, I, I was engaged. I inserted myself in that place and I said, stop this. And I said it a lot louder than that. I said, stop this. In the name of the one who stripped you and marched you naked through the streets. Jesus Christ, I stop this now. You can't have them. You can't take them down. Again, the force of my words, all that, my, my physical posture... It's, it doesn't have anything to do with this, the tide of that spiritual battle being turned. But it was important for me to just sort of muscle my way in there and say, no, no, no. We have this incredible promise in James chapter 4. In fact, if, you're a, if you have a pen... You have a Bible, find this verse right now and underline it. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Why? Because he's whipped. He's beaten. As long as he can convince you otherwise, well, he'll, he'll do everything he can to do so. But when he recognizes, you know the gig is up. He's not stupid. He's not going to waste his ammo on you. The Bible says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Sadly, that means that there are some people who are devour, devourable. But it also means that there's some who are not. I want to be one of those. 
And really it's all about this, the difference is all about this verse. Submitting to God, resisting the devil, and watching him turn tail and run. 